This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. The Jets have officially wrapped on minicamp. We have five weeks until training camp. But Michael, plenty of stuff to discuss. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. And this has been a really eventful offseason. It hasn't really felt like there's been that much of a dead period. We've kind of had a lot to talk about consistently. Yeah, this should be the most mellow time of the offseason. You never know with the Jets. They could make a few moves. Uh, and I guess that's a good place to start because Robert Sala on his press conference on Friday um, had some interesting things to say about whether or not the Jets could add a veteran corner, a veteran quarterback. Um, we know there's some news about Morgan Moses. So let's hop into to how the Jets can improve their team over the next few weeks. Let's start with the cornerback. Sala made it kind of sound like the Jets might roll with their young guys into the season, at least into training camp, and then maybe they'll reassess after preseason. How do you feel about that? I think it, it's definitely a strategy that is – I feel like it's a high – for a team in this position, I think it's a strategy that makes sense. If you're a team that's trying to compete to win a championship, you, if you're in win-now mode, then it's not really a strategy that I think makes a lot of sense. You want to improve your team – as much as possible. I have guys who have a high floor who you can rely on, but for a team like the jets that is in transition is in the first year of a new coaching staff and is coming off of a two win season. You want to find out who your core guys are. You want to build your core, figure out who you can build around going forward. And I think that's an approach that they're employing at a lot of different positions, but definitely most of all the cornerback spot. Um, and I think it also comes down to where you feel like your strengths are in coaching. And this is a coaching staff that has a lot of talented coaches or accomplished coaches on the defensive side of the ball, especially at linebacker and cornerback. And those just have, and the whole defensive backfield, not just cornerback. And those are the two positions where the jets are kind of going the youngest and most unproven right now, because they have guys like Jeff Ulbrich and Ricky man. Uh, well, at linebacker, they've Ulbrich and Robert solid then secondary Secondary, they've guys like Ricky Manning. Um, their secondary coach is also very good. Tony Oden. Tony Oden. So um, they have a lot of successful coaches who have done really good work in the past at these positions. So they feel confident in their ability to take young, moldable guys with unlimited upside because at this point, your upside is unlimited. If you haven't played yet, there's no telling how good you could be or how bad you could be. So there's a floor, but there's also a ceiling. So I think the Jets are confident in their ability to develop these guys at positions where they feel like they're the strongest in terms of their coaching ability. So I think it makes makes sense for a team in this position. But at the same time, I think you can still 
explore at least bringing in a veteran, like a guy like Richard Sherman who could help from a veteran leadership sort of standpoint. And then also it helps just to be competent because that helps the rest of your roster develop. If your secondary is really struggling, it's kind of hard for your pass rush to have the time it needs to get quality reps in and make things happen and build confidence. So uh, it does kind of work in that way as well. So I think it's something they should still explore and monitor if they feel like there is a feasible way to do it. But I think it can be justified for them to approach it uh, the way they're approaching it right now. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where they're just going to have to see him every day in training camp and then through those preseason games, then reassess. Because it does sound like Nelson and Sherman should be on the market for the foreseeable future. I do think they'll get signed before the season, but maybe it will take a training camp injury or um, something like that for, for them to sign. Um, I think if you listen to Robert Sala talk and you you know he comes from Pete Carroll, who firmly believes in playing the young guys, that's how you develop them. I mean, Sala went as far as to say that's the difference between player A and player B. Um, I also think it, it comes down to faith in your coaching staff, like kind of like you said. I think the scheme is is one that doesn't rely on um, amazing cornerback play. You just need competent corner play. I think they really like Bryce Hall. And I think, yeah, they have a bunch of athletic guys. They trust their coaching staff. And these guys like Bless Austin, who, you know, have struggled probably a lot more so last year, what he's good at kind of makes you believe that he could be good in this scheme. He does seem like he can play this cover two zone scheme. Um, I, I think you're going to have to see him every single day in training camp and never know how injuries will fall. Um, at the end of the day, I do think they will add another body, whether it'll be Steven Nelson or Richard Sherman or somebody gets cut in training camp. I don't think this is the final cornerback room. Um, but I do believe Sala when he says he's going to play the young guys. Um, the other interesting quote he gave was about veteran quarterbacks. And he essentially said that, you know, if you bring in a vet now, he just has to learn this that doesn't have experience in the scheme. He has to learn the scheme just like your rookie quarterback does. So he kind of downplayed the significance of it. Uh, I think again, that comes down to faith that they have in, in Rob Calabrese and get, uh, Greg Knapp and Michael floor to develop Zach Wilson and kind of mentor him. Um, Michael, what are your thoughts on that? Are you comfortable with James Morgan if, if Zach Wilson were to go down? Yeah, the quote that Sal gave is really interesting. Uh, he kind of totally, like you said, downplayed the impact of having a veteran quarterback, not in terms of on-field impact and winning games, but in terms of how they can help you develop your young quarterbacks. He completely downplayed it. He said, you know, they could help with rehab and study habits, but he thinks that Wilson... And both the other two guys, Morgan and Mike White, are already good enough in that in those areas to where they don't really need that sort of help. And then also, if that quarterback doesn't know the scheme, they're going to have to learn it as well. And they're not really bringing much in that area. So I, I, that's definitely an argument that I've kind of been on the side on because we've seen it here in New York. The Jets have kind of done this every step of the way with veteran quarterbacks being in the building, whether it was Josh McCown um, I mean, I guess Fitzpatrick counts, but um, they had um, when Mark Sanchez was here, they had Mark Brunel. So they, the Jets have done this a lot over the years and a lot of teams in the league have. And I, don't, I don't think it necessarily always works. So I don't know if there's really proven track record of, of it working. So I agree with Salah on that front. But from a winning game standpoint, I think the Jets just have to really be honest in their self-evaluation with Morgan. And Mike White, it's hard for us to tell without being at practice every single day, watching the film, knowing the scheme. But if they truly feel comfortable and one of those guys to come in and be about as competent as you could hope for in a backup quarterback, 
then by all means go with them. But if you're really not comfortable with them, then just grab a veteran, even if it's late in the off season and there will be problems with, you know, them getting acclimating acclimated to the scheme. And even if you don't think it helps the development too much, um, if you're really not comfortable with one of those two guys, I think you should definitely go ahead and try to find an upgrade at the backup spot. But, you know, they're in practice every day. If they feel comfortable with one of these two guys, um, I think you can justify going with them as the backup. But I do agree with what Salah said in terms of the veteran not necessarily being too important from a development standpoint. Yeah, it's exactly right that it's essentially how comfortable you're going to be. And when you, you mentioned some of those names in the past, I think Mark Brunel is maybe the only guy who helped any of those young guys because Fitzpatrick took Gino's job and then Josh McCown, I, I guess he was supposed to develop Christian Hackenberg. I, I was Sam Darnold too, I guess. So neither of those really worked out. I, I think that he has plenty of um, voices in his ear, as Adam Gase used to say. When it comes to Zach Wilson, I think uh, Greg Knapp and Rob Calabrese in particular, the passing game specialist and the quarterback's coach, um, I think – those by all reports from around the league are the types of guys you want uh, when you, when you have a young quarterback in the building. So I'm not really worried about having somebody to mentor Zach. It's more just having a, a competent backup QB. I mean, I will say after seeing uh, James Morgan's one-handed catch at, at George Fant's softball game, I feel a little better about his athleticism. Um, but James Morgan is essentially a rookie. I mean, he, he'll be making his preseason debut uh, right alongside Zach Wilson. Um so I think, yeah, I think what this means is they're not going to trade a pick for Nick Foles, uh, like some have suggested. I don't think they're as desperate. I think like the cornerback room, they're going to give them as many reps as possible. They're going to go through training camp. And then you have to remember with training camp cuts, there's going to be plenty of solid quarterbacks to hit the market. You look at a team like, like the Patriots who have Cam Newton, Mac Jones, Brian Hoyer, and Jarrett Stidham. Well, obviously Mac Jones and Cam Newton are making their roster, but maybe Brian Hoyer shakes free, who we know the Jets had some interest in. Um, there are plenty of teams like that around the league who have signed three or four quarterbacks, and somebody's going to shake free that you can sign to be your QB two if you're really not comfortable with Morgan or White at the end of preseason. Um, I think it's just a smart, you know, way to build a team. They're not going to give out any money until they know um, exactly what the landscape is going to look like. I do think, like Joe Douglas has been um, two years ago, not necessarily as much last year. Um, he was very active on those um, that uh, training camp uh, waiver wire um, just before the season. I do think you'll see the Jets make a, a few moves, three to four moves there to improve this team. Um, Cause I think, especially at that quarterback and cornerback position, they may, they may be happy uh, with the group for now, but I don't think this is the group they're going to head into the season with um, speaking. I guess we brought up the George Fant softball charity game. Michael, what are you thinking about all this off-field camaraderie? They're all going to the Islanders games. I mean, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala have been to Nets games and Knicks games. And uh, I mean, this just seems like a different vibe. Is it just good PR from the Jets? Or do you, are you fully buying into that That Robert Sala has, um, or I guess in Joe Douglas's words, are, they're trying to build the best culture in all sports? I mean, I definitely think it's different enough to the point where it is meaningful. I think if it were just one or two things that kind of stood out or particular events, or little things that happen, tweets or whatever, then maybe it would be something that would be that we'd be looking into a little bit too much. But at this point, we're so deep into the off season, and it's been so consistent with these guys doing stuff together off the field. You know, whether like you mentioned, all the different games I've gone to, Wilson had was holding some practices. He's going to be holding some practices in Utah. Um, the George Fan softball too. game, yeah, that as well. Players living together, so it's there's. This is really different. Usually, for the most part, I think stuff like this might be read into a little bit too much. What goes in, what goes on off the field, 
um, stuff that's on social media, things like that. But this is so different for this franchise in particular that it's definitely something that has an impact because it just matches up with everything that, you know, we were sold with Robert Sala coming in, that they're going to change this culture, that guys are going to want to play there, want to play for each other and be part of this team. And we're clearly seeing that in a ve- in very obvious and clear ways. So I think it's definitely meaningful and is a very um, positive indication that Sala and Joe Douglas are doing what they both were brought here to do. And that's build a very positive culture that's going to attract free agents to come here. It's going to make players want to stay. And it's just going to create a positive energy in the building. That's going to help player development. It's going to help guys be motivated to play their best and give their best play for each other. All that great stuff that the jets were not doing the past couple of years, because you look at the Adam Gase era the past two years, and there was barely anything of this nature. Guys going to games together, well, holding practices a little bit, but not nearly as much. So I think it's definitely something positive. I kind of disagree with that a little bit. Okay. Uh, well, I, I agree with most of what you're saying. I mean, I think culture comes with winning. I think that's just what you look at like New England, the culture they established there was because there was an expectation right. of winning there. And so everybody who came there knew the expectation, knew they were playing for the greatest coach of all time and the greatest quarterback of all time. And so they were going to work their tail off to make sure they weren't going to be the one to, to cost them a Super Bowl that year. So that's like their culture. And Seattle has a great culture. There's great cultures across the league. And the Jets have obviously been a bit of a wasteland the last 10 years. But I think you're right. Good chemistry, good camaraderie. Is this stuff going to override talent? I mean, Greg Williams used to say uh, culture beats talent every day of the week. And I think, okay, maybe like we just mentioned, if you're a winning culture, that might be the case. If you have like a system, a, a you know, a, a pipeline of talent of young guys who can step in next man up that type of attitude, maybe, but this whole camaraderie and this energy, this stuff is great. But like Robert Sala said in his press conference, you don't really know who this team is until adversity hits. And I think this will help when adversity hits and it's nice from a fan perspective, but it's not going to over, you know, ride the talent on the team. And for, I, I disagree with what you're saying about the Gase jets, because I actually feel like they did have pretty good chemistry um, uh, maybe not on the field. And I think as things started to spiral out of control, maybe, but we were saying a lot of the same stuff last off season, they went to go play, you know, maybe it was two off seasons ago. They went to go play top golf. Um, you know, they seem to get along on the field. Uh, I don't, I think it's definitely a more positive vibe. And I think that's mainly attributed to the head coach and the coaching staff as a whole. I think that has been a big boost, but as far as player relations, I, I don't think the jets have had too many um, player um, altercations, I guess, since, you know, you could go back to 2015 early Bulls era when they had the veterans and Geno Smith getting punched in the face and there's Muhammad Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson. I think since that era, the Jets have been a pretty positive locker room. Um, it's just been maybe from coaching and the, the culture of winning hasn't necessarily been there. But look, the, the celebrity softball game and going to all these um, these New York sporting events, that's fun. That's great. But as, as Salah said, we're not really going to know who this team is until adversity strikes. Yeah, and, and like that's definitely true. You're not winning games off of Dan Feeney chugging beers at the Coliseum. But I, th- I think you'd be undefeated. The, yeah, they would definitely be undefeated if you won games that way and the Patriots would never win a game. But Ooh. I think it's... They did have Tom Brady who can like pound a beer in two seconds. Although we didn't really see him unleash that till he got to Tampa Bay. That's when oh, he, he No, truly... he, he, did it, he did it on the, the late show when he was the Patriots quarterback. He That's said he true. could pound, He said he could chug a beer in one second and credit to him, he did. Okay, so him and Dan Feeney would lead the MVP race. But I, I think the, the biggest thing here is that 
this is a requisite thing. That's what I think it is. You're not going to win games based off of this, but you have to be, you have to have this sort of culture just to be good. If you don't have this, then it's hard to win games at all. Be a consistent, consistently productive franchise if you don't have a culture like this in place. And I don't really think the Jets did have that. They weren't a mess the past couple of years in terms of players in the locker room um, and relations off the field and things like that. But they definitely weren't at this level. I don't think they're close to this. Like, and you mentioned the the golf and some things like that, but I feel like that's, the you know, it, it's okay, but it wasn't close to this level. And I think this is, again, you're not winning games based off of this winning games is what makes players want to come. It's what makes, um, it's what establishes the respect for your team. But this, these kind of things is just solid proof. And the fact that they've done it so quickly within these first few months and within, you know, a time in our history with COVID, although it is, you know, coming out a little bit still, it's, you know, for them to be doing as much as they're doing is in this time, this quickly early in their tenure, with this team rookies who have been here for a couple months hanging out with veterans and all this is, I think it's a really promising thing. I, uh, I totally understand I think, what you're saying. I'm I think with the you. Biggest, you got to win games, but I think this is a different level of energy. I think the biggest thing it points to is, is the character aspect of, of Joe Douglas when he's looking on, on building a team. He's mentioned it many times. And even last year when they had Gase, it still had a full Joe Douglas draft class. And even if you go back to 2019, Joe Douglas still was able to make some additions, although they weren't really meaningful additions. Um, I, I think that's what it comes back to is that the Jets have put an emphasis on bringing good characters into the locker room. I mean, you look at the coaching staff talk about Elijah Moore and the type of work ethic he has, and you listen to Ke- Keelan Cole talk, you listen to Corey Davis, and just there's been an emphasis in the guys they brought in, whether it's free agency or the draft, on bringing good character guys. And I think that is a big part of the culture, but the culture, like you said, is going to be established on the field if they can win some games. Um, and I guess continuing with our talk about how the Jets can improve this team, our podcast last week, um, I guess, I think it was right after it might've been the next day came out that the Jets are the favorites, um, for Morgan Moses. Um, it seems like that, I don't want to say should get done, knock on wood, could get done. It seems like they, they, if they're the favorites, they're the favorites. It seems like the Jets should get it if they want it, um, what are your thoughts on this? I think there's, you know, Damian Woody kind of disputed what you were saying earlier about trying to play him at guard. I do agree that he might be a better scheme fit there. And I think that Fant's a good scheme fit a tackle, but at the end of the day, Moses will is still a better tackle than Fant and tackles arguably a more important position. What are your thoughts on, on the prospect of adding Moses specifically at right tackle? Well, I think the idea of playing him at right guard would be, the way I would want to do it. I think that would be the best way to maximize the town of the entire unit. If you just slid Moses in a right guard, kept Fant at right tackle. But I do understand that that's most likely not going to happen. Morgan Moses is in his prime. He probably has a pretty good amount of demand on the market. Um, So he's not going to move to a position where his earnings are going to be limited when he's only 30 years old and he hasn't missed a start in seven years. So I understand that that's definitely not going to happen. If they sign him, they're going to be playing him at right tackle. But um, and actually, before I get into the concern, let's talk about the positive of this. This is definitely something I would do. They should do just because of the depth aspect of it. Even if you do put Moses at right tackle, bench fan, and maybe there isn't much of an upgrade. Fan is a massive upgrade over Chuma Idoga and Connor McDermott as your backup swing tackle. 
So it definitely improves the depth significantly just by bringing him in. But I do wonder how much of an upgrade he would be over fan at right tackle in this scheme, because he's not as good of a lateral mover and athlete as George Fant is. I really think Fant could have a great season as a run blocker in this offense. The thing he, the things he does well um, fit very well in this scheme while Moses watching him, some of his um, highest grade games as a run blocker, he's more of a, power guy working vertically to linebackers down blocking pinning defensive tackles inside stuff that won't be as common in an outside zone offense um, and also another thing with Moses is that he had a great season this year in terms of his PFF grade that has fans really high on him but before the season the last four years he was pretty consistently average to below average so this was a little bit of an outlier it could be a sign of things to come it could just prove to be just that an outlier something that he can't match but uh in pass protection he's not great he's never been great he's been average to below average in that area pretty much every season his penalty numbers have been pretty high other than last year um it was just his run blocking this past season that really popped um pushed him up the list as a standout guy in terms of grading and he was doing that in a scheme that is uh, a lot different than what the jets are going to be running this year so I wonder about the scheme fit. I wonder about um, his random breakout after being pretty average for the most part for a few years. And at the end of the day, Washington did cut him. So I uh, get to think about that as well. So it's definitely a move that I would be a fan of just for the sake of improving the depth. And even in this scheme, I feel like he can match Fant probably. I don't think he'll be worse, but I do wonder if he would be an upgrade over Fant at right tackle in this offense. I think it's good to be skeptical for sure. Um, I purely based on the fact that Connor McGovern or excuse me, Connor McDermott won't be tasked with protecting Zach Wilson's blind side if Beckham were to go down um, makes me want to do this deal. I mean, maybe they could, they could slide fan over to left tackle or whatnot, but just improving the depth specifically in the offensive line to keep your franchise centerpiece healthy and intact uh, and upright. I think that's, worth the money that they're going to have to spend to get him. I mean, what would you spend? I think we talked about this last week, but now that you hear the Jets are the front runners, what do you think a, a contract from Morgan Moses could be? It's a multi-year, which I found a little surprising. I thought it might be a, a one-year deal for Moses. Um, what do you think a multi-year Morgan Moses Jets contract could look like? Yeah, I'll be honest. Because of the concerns I laid out, I don't think I would be a fan of a multi-year deal. I don't think he's good enough to where I'd want to be locked into that for multiple years. Um, so I don't know if I'd be big on that unless it, you know, was the type of deal that's structured well to where they could get out of it if it doesn't go as they hope. But in terms of a one-year deal, you know, I would pay up to get them in for one year. They have cap space. We might as well use it and price out some of the other competitors, such as the Bears, who have much less cap space than the Jets do right now. So one year... I would go up to $8 million. I'd feel okay with that. Um, but multi-year is something that, just based on the body work that he has right now and the scheme fit, I don't think that is something I'd be too comfortable with unless it was a team-friendly team deal in terms of the guarantees that they could get out after well, next year. And I wonder how much Fant's contract will play into the negotiations with Moses because if Moses is signing to be the right tackle – 
is he really going to accept that his backup's going to be making more than him? And Douglas can't even pin that on the last GM or something like that because Douglas signed Fant's contract. Mm-hmm. Douglas gave right. Fant that deal. So it's kind of, it would be kind of hard for him to say, well, Fant may have been worth that money back in, in March of 2020, but we don't think you are, Morgan. Uh, I think Morgan's like, well, if I'm going to start, I want to make more than Fant. Now, granted, we don't know how the, the rest of Morgan Moses' landscape looks. We know Joe Douglas is... Have, has proven to be pretty stingy and, and good at, at understanding the landscape, whether it be the draft or free agency and, and getting the best value. So maybe he can lowball him a little bit there, but I do wonder how much that'll play into Morgan Moses's negotiating power. It just kind of comes down to how much the jets want him. Um, but I do think that they can outbid every other team. Even if, if, if you know, if Moses's next best offers from the bears for 5 million and the jets offer him 7 million, that's still less than fan, but 2 million more than, the bears so you could still see the jets getting that done um i I agree with you i'm a little surprised it'd be multi-year deal just because he is 30 uh i'm not necessarily sure about the scheme fit um but hey maybe there's there's a a plan to move him at guard that kind of does make me think that they they think he could have some positional versatility um so we'll see on that and and on the fan point i'm curious what you think because you know if they do sign it um moses playment right tackle and fan becomes your backup although I like him in that role right now, he's supposed to have a cap hit of 9.8 million, which is I think six highest. Yeah. Six highest among right tackles, which is a lot for a backup. So do you think they would maybe try for a restructure a trade? He has more leverage than Crowder did because he has um, four, four and a half million guaranteed already. If they cut, if they cut him right now, they'd be on the hook for six and a half million in dead money which would be five and a half this year, 1 million next year spread out. Um, so he has more leverage than Crowder. It's not the same situation to where uh, the Jets can for pretty much force him into taking it. Um, but what do you think? Uh, do you think they'd maybe explore no, something no. with Fant? Well, if, I mean, if Fant's agent is worth anything, he won't allow that to happen. I mean, look, I guess it depends how hard Paul, the Jets want to play it, but I think a big reason you bring Morgan Moses in is for the, the depth. And you lose that if you cut Fant. And like you said, if the Jets are going to cut Fant, they probably should have done it at the beginning of the league year where they wouldn't have been on the hook for that four, four and a half million, uh, like you mentioned. So I, I don't think so. I, I think even a restructure at this point, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm talking more restructure, and it would be hard because of the terms. But I don't think they'd cut him definitely. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I think cut is out of maybe. I think I think fans agent could call that bluff. I think in an ideal world, you'd say, yeah, look, I mean, we'll pay you more than the six and a half million that that we'd lose for cutting you, but maybe we can cut your contract down to six million seven million i don't know something like that if they could maybe try to shave off a couple million but fan was a team captain last year i i think he can call the bluff on that too i don't i I think if he doesn't do it i don't think the jets are going to cut him and i don't think there's gonna anybody's gonna line up at the door for trading it so the jets may lose that one a little bit maybe they're definitely going to be overpaying george fan especially if he's in that backup role but i just don't think unless George Fant's agent really falls for the, the idea that the Jets could could cut him um, and they want to save a few million dollars there. Uh, but other than that, I, I don't think there's any hope for a restructure, I think. I think- and, and because of these terms, I, I would keep an eye on him at guard. It, I don't think it will happen, but I would think about it just for the fact that do you really want to pay a backup this much money when you could play him 
at his natural position and move Moses inside where he projects well. I would, I would, I think it's possible. I think I would, what it does. I don't is, think it will happen. Though. I think Moses could play guard. I think they may try to uh, look. I don't know. I think. I don't think it's for certain one way or another. I think they, the Jets kind of look at this like, you know, let's get him in the building. He can play right tackle, and then you improve your your depth at, ta- at, at tackle with, with Fant being able to be your swing tackle. He can come in for Becton if he goes down or come in for Moses if he goes down. You also, if you want, you could try Moses out first at right guard, put him in that right guard competition, see how he looks, see how Fant looks. Uh, and then if a tackle were to go down, then Moses bumps back out to tackle. You know, it just kind of comes down to how comfortable Moses is with the positional uh, versatility. You know, Damon Woody knows a hell of a lot more about O-line play than me, but I, I think he's uh, maybe jumping the gun a little bit to say for certain that the Jets won't play Moses at right guard. Because like you said, schematically, it makes more sense. Um, financially, it makes more sense for the Jets. I just don't think it's something they're going to rule out. I agree that I I think Moses probably wouldn't sign here um, unless it was to play tackle. But then again, if he's getting a multi-year deal – maybe it doesn't matter. And then he also shows that he has positional versatility. I don't know. It's something to monitor for sure. I, I do think the jets get this done because even if he's playing tackle, he, it, it brings, um, you know, something positive to your team. Yeah. I, I think what um, Damien was going for is not necessarily the scheme part of it, but just more that from Moses's perspective, I don't think he would want to sign to move into guard just because he doesn't necessarily need to move to, you know, a position where he's going to have less potential in terms of earnings going forward than if he just stays right where he's at, which he probably feels he deserves to stay at. Moses does because he's played pretty well and he's been consistent. So I think that's more what they're going for. For that reason, I don't think it will happen. But to me, I, I think that would be the best way to do it because I like fan at right tackle. I think Moses is a powerful strongly built guy who does who, even though his athleticism isn't great as good as fan i'd prefer fan on the edge i think at guard then i think his athleticism would be sufficient for this scheme and also in pass protection i think he does better with power sort of moves bigger rushers than he does with speed around the edge and he can project well in that phase to guard as well so that's how i would do it i don't think it will happen but this is going to be really interesting to watch play out but i do think it's a positive for sure if it does happen no matter how they um, disperse everything. Well, Michael, uh, before we get out of here, one last topic, the jets have officially wrapped all their spring workouts. It's just training camp five weeks away. Who do you think improved their stock the most the last couple weeks, months, and who do you think stock dropped the most the last couple weeks or months? Well, the first guy that comes to mind is obviously Elijah Moore. I think that's a low hanging fruit answer. Um, because I feel like he's stood out enough to where he's, and he'll have to keep it going through training camp, but he stood out enough to where he's going to be a fixture right away. I don't think there's going to be that transition period as long as he continues to play how he did in training camp. Um, in terms of followers, I, I would say it's a wide receiver position and look at Mims a little bit. I don't think it's necessarily too much to look in yet that he was playing second team because he missed some time. And that's how this coaching staff is operating. You miss some time. You got to work your way back in. And it's really early in the offseason. They're just trying everything out. So I don't think he's necessarily a true second teamer in their eyes right now. But he did miss some time. Barrios played great. Moore played great. Crowder is back. So there are a few things going his way against him right now. So just in the sense that um, he didn't stand out as much as everyone did. So I think he'll have a little bit more to prove going to training camp than we thought he might have to prove coming into this offseason. But 
all is not even close to lost for him. Just not a great, uh, not necessarily because of his own performance, just because of him missing time and other guys, the position playing really well while he was out. Um, and then on the same token, bless Austin on the other side, he missed a little bit of time. And then Jason Pinnock got in there for some first team reps and he was playing pretty well. So uh, same thing with both of those guys, just not being on the field and having uh, some other players, especially young, uh, well, similarly young in the case of Mims, uh, young players coming in and playing well in their absence. Yeah, there's definitely a few guys. I think the first guy that jumps into my eyes as stock risen is CJ Mosley. And we'll see if that's warranted. Um, I think coming into the offseason, I wasn't really expecting much at all from, from Mosley. Maybe that was a little misguided, but it's just, okay, two years off. We don't really know how committed he is. Um, we don't know how he, how healthy he is too, I guess, with the, the groin and, and core injury. Um, but I will say, I mean, he's been at these workouts. He's looked good on the field. He seems to be back in his CJ Mosley ways to be, you know, he's leading the team. He seems happy. I mean, how couldn't he be? He's literally pay, playing for one of the better linebacker coaches in the league and who's now a head coach in Robert Sala. Um, so in my eyes, I think CJ Mosley improved his stock the most. Outside of CJ, I think, well, I guess I'll I'll go stock down next. Another guy, and this isn't necessarily as much workouts as far as it is the whole offseason, is Ashton Davis, who I think coming into the the offseason, I kind of figured might be the starter opposite May. I kind of liked his skill set in this scheme. Um, But instead, he became kind of the third safety again. He seems like Joyner uh, is going to be that, uh, that starting safety opposite May. And it seems like Davis whether it's because the injuries that he's dealing with right now is kind of falling behind Joyner in that, in that um, position group right there. I apologize. My dog is, is whimpering in the, in the background. He just wants to leave the room. He doesn't want to hear any more of this Ashton Davis slander. Um, I guess watching highlights of last year's team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But But actually those, those don't exist. He's just watching film last year's team. There's no highlights. Yeah, there's no highlights. Um, but also, before we get out of here, I think the running back position is important to look at. If you believe the OTA minicamp hype, I know, I know, Bowie, you don't like what I'm about to say next. But I think Tevin Coleman's stock may have dropped a little bit, um, just as far as he came into day one of OTAs as the starting running back. Uh, and he seems to have, have yielded that to Michael Carter and Ty Johnson. I think Coleman's still going to obviously have a role in the passing game. Um, but I think there was a chance that, especially before drafting Michael Carter, that he could be getting a, a big some of the reps and i think he's more going to be regulated to that third down passing specialist which i think is perfect for him um but it seems like michael carter's stock has risen that um you know the jets are gonna be playing a lot of rookies i mean i think that at the end of the day for better or for worse the jets are gonna be playing a lot of rookies and i think long term like you said if you're in this position like the jets are it's a smart thing because those guys are all going to develop they're going to get a ton of reps and then when you're hopefully trying to compete in 2022 you have a bunch of veterans young veterans on rookie deals um, but when you look at, uh, I mean, Zach Wilson's obviously going to start Elijah Vera Tucker's obviously going to start, like you said, Elijah Moore at the beginning of the off season, I think he's definitely the biggest stock riser, um, was, it was kind of thought, well, your starting receiver is going to be Corey Davis, Denzel Mims and Jamison Crowder. And then with more, you can have him return punts. He can be kind of your gadget guy and then work him in to replace Crowder. Now it's like, look, he's a completely different player than Crowder. He's going to have to have his own role and he may be wide receiver number two in this offense. Um, and by a lot of reports, he's been the best player on the entire field. I mean, granted, Marcus May wasn't out there. Carl Lawson wasn't out there for a lot of it. Quentin Williams isn't there. But Elijah Moore, by reports, was their best player in all their, their workouts. Um, so he's probably going to be 
I don't, I don't know if I'm going to say starting, but yeah, hell, I'll say starting. I think he's going to play the majority of the snaps. I think Michael Carter's probably going to start. Then you'll go to the defensive side. It seems like Michael Carter, the second is their plan for the slot corner. One of those outside linebackers between Jamie and Sherwood and Hamza Nazaldine is probably going to start at linebacker. And hell, like you said, maybe Jason Pinnock gets in at, at the outside corner from Bless Austin. So the Jets could have seven rookies starting, which would probably be unheard of. Um, so I guess from a fan perspective, this is exciting. Gets to watch a lot of young guys develop. But I also believe, leads me to believe that that the beginning of the season might be some some lumps taken. So uh, stock up, stock down. I think it kind of is the the rookies for me would be the biggest stock up. I think those guys are going to get a lot of reps. And then some of the vets, some of those guys from that 2019 draft class, you mentioned Mims, I mentioned Ashton Davis. Well, Michael P. Ryan's another one. Those are the guys that I think are, uh, I've suffered the most from this offseason. Um, I, I would throw in a, a couple more um, stock up and stop, stock down that came to mind. Josh Adams, that running back, I feel like seems like his stock is down, that he hasn't really gotten nearly as many first-team opportunities as the rest of the guys. I like Mason Josh Adams. Not looking great right now, but we'll see what happens in training camp. Um, I'm going to say Bryce Hall is a winner. I know yeah. he's been victimized on some highlights, um, but I think that's what I like the most because the reason these catches, uh, most of them against Elijah Moore, are highlights is because the coverage is so good that he's making Elijah Moore make ridiculous catches and he's making Zach Wilson make ridiculous throws. So I think Bryce Hall, we've seen a good amount of him on video compared to the rest of the team, and he's looked pretty good. And based on the reports from Robbie at training camp, he's been playing well. Um, and he's also come in, you know, he's a guy who came into this offseason who had question marks regarding, you know, it wasn't completely certain that he would start. You figured he would, but it wasn't completely certain after only a handful of starts as a fifth round pick. But he's been uh, pretty much had a stranglehold on the first team reps so far. So it seems like he's locked into that starting spot for now and has been doing pretty good against Elijah Moore, who's been awesome. So those are a couple that come I've to got, mind. Yeah, I've got another stock down, actually. Um, and I think this kind of started with the coaching change and then throughout OTAs, I haven't heard his name once and granted there's no pad. So it's kind of hard for the guys in the trenches to make a name for himself, especially guys like this, but Fuller runs with Fadakasi. I don't think he's even in the starting lineup. I mean, from what we've read, I mean, he, yeah, he isn't a perfect fit in Robert Sala's prototypical four, three defense. I think he's definitely going to have a role as that run stuff for that goal line player. But I think you're going to see Fadakasi's share of the reps diminished significantly in favor of those more nimble interior defensive linemen like John Franken Myers, like Sheldon Rankins, you know, they could slide there. John Marshall could be a guy who has a chance to take some of those reps. Maybe John Marshall, but he hasn't even played. So I'm not even going to throw him in there, but Vinny Curry, hell Jabari Zuniga who had a sack, you know, how great would it be if Zuniga could contribute literally anything after doing nothing last year. He's a guy to keep an eye out for because nobody's talking about him. So Fadakas is a guy that I, I, yeah, I think, I don't think he's going to be on the team next year. I just don't think the Jets are going to pay him because he's not necessarily a scheme fit. He's a great player. I think he'll he'll make some plays this year in his situational role. But I think Zuniga, or excuse me, I think Fadakasi can go um, elsewhere, be a starter, and get paid some starter money. Um, so I think his stock has dropped. But that not necessarily from OTAs, just kind of from the hiring of Robert Sala. So I guess throughout the whole offseason, those are the guys who whose stock – has risen and fallen the most. I, I have throw- one more up and down at one position uh, in the slot. Michael Carter two, uh, Michael Carter second has been Michael playing. Carter two, <laughs> Michael Carter two. Let's just call him that. MC two, um, MC two has been playing pretty well apparently based on the reports. Um, and and Javelin Goodry, a guy who I really like, kind of 
seems like he was falling off in that competition a little bit against MC squared. So um, I really, this is going to be a very interesting one to watch. I really MC squared is one of my favorite guys out of this class. Um, and Javelin Goodry, I, I loved what he did in the three games he played pretty extended action last season. He was really solid. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch, but it looks like MC squared is kind of, uh, he's kind of got a little bit of an edge as much as you can, but going to training camp, I think that'll be a tight one. It's such a coach's cliche, but there really is competition at literally every single position. You look at quarterback, the backup quarterback, you know, competition, I guess, between James Morgan and Mike White. They're also, I guess, competing against a phantom free agent they could sign. If they impress, they're not going to sign a free agent. If they don't, they are. You look at running back, it's going to be, well, who's going to be the lead back? Who's going to get the majority of the carries? Obviously, it's going to be running back by committee approach, but, you know, who's going to separate themselves? And then you have Michael P. Ryan versus Josh Adams for that last roster spot. You look at the offensive line, there's a, there's a battle at right guard between Greg Van Roten, um, Cameron Clark, Alex Lewis, hell, maybe... Morgan Moses, um, I, though if he gets signed, there's no competition there, I guess. Tight end, it seems like Hernan is the presumed starter, but the last few days he was he was running with the twos. It seems like Tyler Croft, maybe even well, I think Wesco is probably going to be more the fullback. But you know, it seems like Tyler Croft, maybe Ryan Griffin, um, could overtake him there. You look at receiver, we didn't think there was going to be much competition, but it seems like there's a Keelan Cole, Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore kind of competition for who can be the the number two opposite Corey Davis. Um, and then you go to the defensive line, you know, there's a competition on who's going to be the edge outside of, of Carl Lawson. There's Vinnie Curry. Do you play John Franklin Myers out there? Or would you rather have him inside? There's Jabari Zuniga. There's Bryce Huff. Um, then you go to the linebacker spot. The weak linebacker spot is really the only one that's up for grabs between Jamie and Sherwood and Hamza Nasruddin. Like you mentioned with the corners, I, you know, Sala wouldn't even go as far to say that Bryce Hall has cemented himself as a starter. He said they're all up for grabs, one, two, and three. I think you safe to assume Hall is going to be starting at one of them, but there's competition at, at two and three. And then hell at safety, you know, I, I, it seems like Joyner, given the success he's had at free safety and May's versatility at strong safety, it seems like Davis is the odd man out there. I think he's a great special team or third safety. I was hoping to see him maybe take a leap into a starting position, but there's a bit of a competition there. And then you can look at the kicker special teams. There's definitely competition there. Um, so uh, I think there's competition all across the board, which is only going to be good when you're talking about building a culture and getting these young guys reps. It's exciting. And I think that's part of the reason they're not necessarily racing to sign any vets is some of them are going to hit the market at the end of training camp. You can pick them up there right now, let the young guys battle out and uh, kind of let the best man win. I, I like the, the strategy heading into training camp. We'll be back on Thursday with another special episode, probably another positional preview. Michael and I have to talk about that this week. Uh, figure out what we're going to be doing but we will be sticking with the two episode model we have some special guests coming up in a few weeks um, but we'll, we'll continue with the regular monday podcast topics and we, some mailbags um, on thursday as we mentioned could be positional breakdowns player profiles interviews um, whatnot so keep a lookout for them monday and thursday cool your jets episodes you can follow us at cyj pod on twitter Myself, Ben W. Blessington, Michael at Michael underscore Nania. Go to JetsXFactor.com for the best Jets content in the world. And if you'd be so kind to, to leave us a, a rating or a review or subscribe to us on iTunes, that's very much appreciated. Uh, Michael, any last words? Um, so what's our official nickname for Michael Carter the second? MC Are we going squared. MC squared? Okay. Well, wait, the MC2? MC2, the sequel to Michael Carter. MC squared is funnier. Well, MC squared is an actual, like, you know, thing. MC2 doesn't sound scientific or mathematical at all. I mean, it just sounds 
pretty lame. It's, it's almost as bad as your all gas, no break ending. I think it's annoying that Michael Carter, the running back, got 32 and MC squared got number 30. Why can't they just give him the two? Oh, because oh, I see. So you wanted Michael Carter, the running back, to have 30 and then Michael Carter, yeah. the second, to be 32. You, you're a weirdo. I guess that's this, what makes you so I guess good. this culture isn't as good as we thought. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, well, I guess I was going to say Happy Father's Day. We're recording this on Father's Day. But everybody have a great week. We'll be back on Thursday. Pass the war quickly. Down to six seconds. Carr going down again. And it's Quentin Williams this time for the Jets. The middle in the air. Picked off. Ryan Poole to the end zone. Touchdown. Hunter to beat. And the punter brings him down. Brayton Mann saved a touchdown most likely. Looks right. Fires a bomb down the right sideline again for Mims. What a catch by Denzel Mims.